0: Welcome to Invisible Warriors. I'm here to bring our stories of unseen pain, hope, and perseverance to the surface to show others and ourselves that we are not alone. My hope is to create a safe space for emotional and spiritual healing by sharing our stories. Chronic physical and mental health struggles often go hand in hand, and I believe that our stories deserve to be told in our space that we cultivate together. Hey guys, in the spirit of stories i got to start with mine. I'm here with my brother Josh, and we're going to take a trip back to the 80s,
1: 1985. Ooh, 1985 to be exact. I don't know if prenatal care was what it is now in 1985, was it?
0: No, not necessarily. Um, A lot of times you didn't necessarily know that there was anything wrong uh, with the baby until the baby was born, or maybe shortly before. When I was born, uh, my parents had three had two other kids, and you know they were really excited. They were so, they were so excited to have their third child. The family was going to be complete. They were really pumped, and so they, it was time. They went to the hospital, and um, they were expecting you know a safe delivery, just like every other kid that they had. The, shortly after I was delivered, uh, it was apparently there was an issue. Uh, they could just tell from, from the doctor's reactions that there was an issue with the baby, and um, so shortly thereafter, they were, you know, they took the baby away for more, to, to look yeah. at more things, took <laughs> took me away uh, to uh, check it out and, and see what was going on, and and um, my parents were just confused and wondering what was going on, and I had so many questions, and the doctors came in and, and told them that there were some issues and that uh, that I had spina bifida and and they didn't really know, okay, well, what does that mean? You know, so my, my mom was handed uh, by the doctor a Polaroid picture.
1: Have you seen that Polaroid before? I have not. Man, it's kind of brutal. Like, I saw the Polaroid because mom had it and I was a little kid and... Your butt naked, your, your umbilical cords hanging out and you're like, you have this face of a blood curdling scream. And that was like, Oh, I have a little brother and he looks terrible. What's going on. It had to be so brutal for mom and dad.
0: I mean, you know, I can only imagine uh, what they were going through at those times. And, you know, like I said, all the questions that they had and, and, um, you know, I've gotten recently a little bit of perspective on that. You know, I was able to kind of ask them some more questions and kind of what their experience was in the whole thing, and even on the early years of my life, and 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 a lot of the surg- early surgeries that I had, and some of the you know kind of milestone moments also was really cool to hear about, and and uh, it's really neat to be able to look back on it and have some perspective. You know, as a grown man that I never really had as a kid, uh, because I mean obviously those things were hard to talk about, and you know I can I can understand that. Uh, definitely now as an adult.
1: When was the first time that you ever heard your story from someone else? Like the story of what they went through, like mom and dad, like uh, anyone. When's the first time you ever heard it from an outside perspective?
0: The first time I heard it from an outside perspective, uh, honestly, was when I was reading your book. Uh, My brother wrote a book uh, called I Played for My Dad for Nine Years and We Still Talk.
1: I did not ask that question to plug the book. Just so you know, no, he did not. He definitely did
0: not. Uh, it is a great book. It's it's got a bunch, a bunch of great stories uh, about our family and about his experience playing. But um, in that book, uh, and I did not know this was coming either. Whenever I read the book, uh, whenever he sent me that chapter, but he wrote the the he basically wrote my story from his perspective, which really was enlightening for me and uh really neat to be able to hear that and uh, i'll you know i'm gonna pass it off to him and let him tell that story
1: so when you were born apparently polaroid in hand mom and dad leave the hospital dad's following mom you're on a helicopter to toledo and mom pulls out in front of someone and gets t-boned it's like a horrible day Or like you know once you recover they were leaving And uh, me and Rach got carted up to Mansfield, Ohio to stay with grandma and grandpa. And I think I was feeling angry and jealous that you had mom and dad. So I was, I got a spanking at grandma and grandpa's house for throwing rocks at cars. (laughs) Rachel, I I, I tried to blame it on Rachel, but it wasn't happening. And uh, I like, I remember when Rachel took her first step, I think big brother, like I slapped her back down. But when you took your first steps, it was like a celebration. And when when you first came home, we made, with our babysitter, her name was Jane. She was awesome. We made this huge sign, and it said, Welcome Home, Mitch. We already knew that we were calling you Mitch. It said, Welcome Home, Mitch. And all of the letters were animals. I remember that. (laughs) <laughs> all the letters were animals, and you know when you took your first steps too. I was so happy because I could, I had another playmate. Like I had someone to play, someone else to play with yeah. again. Even though I mean every, everything was a little different. We I mean, had always had to watch your head, so I couldn't give you a nuggie and all that stuff. But I got plenty of good shots in.
0: Yeah, I'd say like you got a shot, or two, shot or two in over the years. <laughs> no but uh, yeah, so, I mean over the over the next couple of years. Um, I had several surgeries, um, probably the, one of the first ones was, you know, they had the surgery to close up my back, uh, was the, what, which is what they took me to Toledo for, um, I, had, um, I had a, a few, several uh, shunt revisions, which basically what a shunt is, is it is, most kids that have spina bifida are born with a, what they call hydrocephalus, which just means excess fluid on your brain uh, that doesn't, dra- doesn't drain properly they did they put the shunt in which basically drains it uh, the fluid off of your brain so it can circulate properly uh, as, as most people's does so uh, they they had several of those surgeries cuz that's a difficult surgery to get right <clears throat> and then i had you know other other surgeries i've had uh, bladder and bowel surgeries over the years and
1: how many surgeries have you had over the years
0: it's in the 20s um I've been told around 23 maybe, but I don't, I don't know if that's accurate or not. But yeah, I would say somewhere in the 20s.
1: When was your last one?
0: The last surgery that I had was about 15 years ago, I would say, I was about 22, 23. And um, that was basically to, revi- to revise the shunt, uh, and it was the same shunt that I had since I was three, I think. Uh, it worked amazingly well. It took a long time to get that surgery right. But uh, once they did, and um, apparently that's very common for the shunts to fail in the initial surgeries. But once they got that right, uh, it worked for about 20 years. And um, basically, they put a bunch of extra tubing in, and as I grew, it grew with me. And, um, and then in my early 20s, I started having really bad headaches, and I could just tell, you know, something's not right, and we were going to the doctor and getting all these scans done. And uh, finally, they were like, all right, we can't quite figure out what's going going on, but we're going to go in and take a look. So, sure enough, uh, this, the shunt was basically clogged up, and they had to go in and replace the top part, and um, and then they connected it uh, in my neck, so to, to about to the bottom of it. And uh, once I got that surgery, you know, I haven't I haven't really had any issues since. It's been really really good, really
1: successful. What What would you want people to know about spina bifida and What encouragement would you have for people that do suffer from spina bifida?
0: Well, spina bifida is what they would call, uh, I guess they would call it a snowflake condition in that no two cases are the same. Uh, Technically, I was born with uh, spina bifida myelomeningocele, which is the most severe form. Uh, But I would say I had more of a mild case of the most severe form so uh you know there were questions about whether i would be able to walk and um issues with my mobility and you know a lot of the things that our parents were spheres I mean, on a lot of this but um over the years you know i have had a lot of surgeries i have had some issues with different things but i have been able to function pretty normally you know i was able to go through school uh just like any other kid and and i've been able to get jobs and and um, be in the workforce and all of that, just like anybody else. So um, in a lot of ways, you know, I'm so blessed to be able to um, do a lot of things that other people aren't necessarily able to do, um, but at the same time, you know, there are other issues that can come along. What I didn't realize when I was younger was, you know, with spina bifida being uh, what I would say are there a lot of chronic health issues uh, that are recurring, uh, like with a lot of chronic health conditions, there can be definitely some mental health struggles there. And I, I just didn't really know a whole lot about that. You know, when, you know, when you're born in the 80s and grow up in the 90s, there's just so many things that we didn't know about mental health that we know now. You know, I struggled over the years, but I didn't really know how to talk about it. Over the last few years, I've been able, and probably over, slowly over the last decade, you know, I've been able to address some things that I've struggled with and Basically, basically try to reshape my story and personally for me. It was it's taken a lot of work and it's been uh, a tough journey to get to that to this point. But at the same time, uh, I can now see how much it's taught me now. I can at least be thankful for the person that it shaped me to be, you know, Um, has it defined me? No, it absolutely does not define who I am but there's no question that has shaped the person that I've become.
1: What do you think is a area of your life that you think it's an advantage that maybe you weren't as mobile or that, you know, you had certain things that you were struggling with. What's an, what's an area that was an advantage for you?
0: Well, I think the advantage that I, I didn't really think about for a long time. And honestly, you know, I, I kind of wish I would have learned it sooner, but, you know, things come in the right time. I'm now realizing that. But um, what I think it's really taught me and how it really shaped me and the person that I am is that it has given me an ability to be able to empathize empathize with others and uh, to be able to understand their stories. And I think the more that I hear other stories and the more that I have shared my own story, you know, in a safe space with people that I trust, that... It's taught me so much about how the ability to empathize with others is so much of an advantage. And it can also, you know, I can maybe help other people, but also by hearing other people's stories, it's helped me. I mean, I feel like as much as anything, you know, when I hear somebody else's story and what they've gone through, and while it may seem really different than mine at times... You know, the pain's the same. The feelings are the same. The emotional experience is so often very, very similar to my own. And so that has really taught me that um, being able to empathize with others and being able to to share my experiences has really taught me how much of a gift that is.
1: What are some of the... uh disadvantages that you've overcome and kind of reclaimed you were you were saying you're reclaiming your story like what are some of those disadvantages that that you've overcome that you now take pride in
0: yeah I mean like I say it's it's been difficult for me to uh what I struggled with early on was you know I have it I I am blessed in so many ways and there are so many people that Uh, You know on the surface have it a lot easier than me, you know, they have some struggles that I don't know about but I've now been able to see that just because My struggles were different than somebody else's That doesn't minimize my own struggles and my own story and it also doesn't minimize theirs so that's that's been a really important place for me to get to and um, I think that being able to kind of reclaim my story and uh, being able to look at it from a different lens. I mean, something that we talked about and it really was something that I'd never really been able to get this perspective uh, was kind of being able to zoom out a little bit. Take that 30,000 foot view and look at it from a different lens, almost kind of trying to step out of your own story, which is difficult to do, but in a lot of ways, it's been a really important step for me
1: it's so hard to do sometimes, but it's so necessary. That's one of the, one of the things about getting older. Is uh, a lot of times you you are at thirty thousand feet when it comes to your childhood, at least a lot more. You know, and sometimes if you haven't dealt with something, it creeps up and you get all in a rage again. But we have the ability. You know what I mean? To kind of make peace with the past or to not fret too much about the future. The hard part is when the now sucks.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely had some had some struggles with that uh, for quite a while. But now, uh, you know, I I had some, you know, the pandemic was hard on everybody. It it was it was a time of, you know, a lot of people were alone. I had recently um, not too long into the pandemic. I had bought a house and which was great in a lot of ways, you know, it was a big step for me. Um, but at the same time, you know, it was during the pandemic and I was all of a sudden living alone. And um, it, you know, there were a lot of things that I was just having a hard time dealing with. You How know? many months went by before you saw somebody? Uh, I would say during the, the when, it was, when it was at its worst. I mean, there was probably... I don't know, a month or two maybe, where we weren't really hanging out. I mean, and and my favorite people to hang out with are a lot of people in my family. So, you know, we have older grandparents, and, you know, we were concerned. You know, we were concerned about if they got COVID, what would happen, and like a lot of people were, and so we hunkered down. You know, I was working from home, and I wasn't getting out a lot. I was trying to do the right thing, but at the same time, it was taking a toll. You know,
1: you know, it wasn't until you were about 30 that you started talking to us about anything that you were struggling with. But yeah, it wasn't until 30. And like, I really feel you on that because I'm sure I'll share my story on this podcast at some point. Um, but sometimes I want to ask us what's, what took you so long? Yeah. Like, yeah. like, why were you hiding the struggles so much? Like what value have you gotten from being able to talk about things that you didn't ever feel you could talk about and having people support you in the way that they do?
0: Well I mean honestly you know in in, in my early years you know I was I was struggling a lot more than I let on. And um I I was always kind of the kid that
1: early years like till when?
0: <laughs> Probably until my late twenties. <laughs> Uh, Yeah, I mean, I would say probably like 27, 28, 29, around in there. And um, for so much of my life, I felt like I kind of had to play this role. Nobody ever put it on me, you know, and I am, I I feel like I am a naturally happy guy. You know, I, I, you know, I'm pretty pleasant most of the time and, you know, I can get along with a lot of people.
1: But you were recruited pretty early as a social savant, you know what I mean? I always said that I felt like that was one of your advantages is that you had such a good social ability. Like everyone was your friend. Nobody didn't like you. And at least I didn't know about it. You know what I mean? So like you go to a concert by yourself and make friends. You still do that to this day. Yeah. Well, I mean, as far as the whole going to concerts thing,
0: I mean, I was, I'm probably one of the only people that went to uh, Music Midtown in Atlanta by myself. And had a great time.
1: How many days?
0: Two days. Uh, it was two, two full days. And uh, it was a great, great festival that I had so much fun. But, uh, but, yeah, I mean, there were so many times where, I don't know, I just kind of felt like I was, in a lot of ways, hiding. Um, and, 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 again, like, none of this was really put on me. You know, I had a great childhood in so many ways. Um, but I always just kind of felt different. I felt like a fish out of water a lot of times, especially in high school. Uh, Like a lot of people do, Uh, you know, high school is great for a lot of people and it's also hard for a lot of people. And um, so, you know, there were so many things that it was like, I did the easiest way to do it was to go about life was to, to hide and to, uh, you know, almost, you know, kind of minimize everything and, uh, you know, not talk about my health, not talk about my struggles, you know, because I didn't really know what else to do. And, um, you know, everybody always kind of knew that I had, you know, we, were, we went to a small school. Everybody always kind of knew that I had some health issues, but, you know, I just didn't really know how to talk about it, didn't really know how to share, um, especially the struggles, and um, didn't really have an outlet. And, uh, I mean, and I also was one of those guys that I knew everybody, everybody knew me, but I never really found my, I didn't really ever feel like I found my place. You know, I didn't really feel like I, feel like I found my crew, at least in high school. You know, but um, get through high school and went to college for a while and started to, started to make new friends and, um, I mean, some friends that I still have to this day that I'm very grateful for. But, you know, those early years, and, and um, there was a lot of looking back on it. I can now, I can name it. You know, I can, I've gotten a lot more clarity on it. And, uh, you know, I was, I was lonely, you know. I, I kind of got good at shutting people out and not really opening up to anybody and and uh but that loneliness was something that, like I said I didn't even really necessarily know what it was at the time I just knew that you know I was struggling but I didn't really feel like I could tell anybody mm. and uh, I think like a lot of people are
1: you know so you had to maintain you felt like you had to maintain this happy you know I'm um, the positive beam of light person and that was a mask and you were hiding you know that's at times you were struggling inside is that what you're saying yeah absolutely
0: i mean like i say it wasn't that i was you know sad all the time or upset all the time or lonely all the time but when i was i didn't know how to talk about it i didn't know how to tell anybody because i mean I, i i did feel like i was kind of almost almost performing um, in some ways, I mean, it was kind of an extension of who I was. I mean, I, like I said, I am a happy person. Um, I am somebody who is, um, you know, able to relate to people in a lot of ways, but I also think that, um, because of a lot of the things that I was going through and a lot of the ways that I felt and with the loneliness and all of that, I think that a lot of that was looking back on it, I can see it was kind of a defense mechanism. Because I didn't really let anybody get too close, didn't really let anybody get to really know me and really know what I was going through. So as a result of that, I kind of felt misunderstood. And that that was tough, you know, that was something that I didn't really know what to do with that. Um, well, I was also trying to figure out who I was,
1: you know. Yeah, I think we all go through a lot of that especially in our young years. And some a lot of times, at least for me, and it sounds like for you, you, you hit a certain point in your 20s and you're like, oh, I'm not who I thought I was. So, yeah,
0: I mean, I spent a lot of time where, like I said, it's like I didn't really know who I was. I was trying to form an identity, but at the same time, and this is also no one's fault, it's not, it's not even my fault now that I look back on it, um, but... I always kind of felt like I was my identity was formed by the people around me. Mm. In that, you know, I was we were at a small school, everybody knows everybody. Um, and Josh was, you know, you were you were the basketball player. My dad was the basketball coach. And my sister played volleyball, and she played
1: basketball too.
0: And she played basketball too. Yes.
1: It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't just (laughs) Rachel played volleyball and sucked at basketball.
0: No, she was a really good shooter, and she was a really good volleyball player. But, uh, so, that almost kind of became my identity, though. You know, I was Coach T's kid. I was Josh's little brother. I was Rachel's little brother. And none of those were a bad thing. You know, those were all good, and I still pride myself to this day To have those you know to be coach t's kid and to be vicky's son and to you know be josh and rachel's brother you know those are great things
1: that had to be hard though like being being born into a sports family like you didn't choose that and you also didn't choose to be born with spina bifida like that had to be hard like what was that like
0: yeah i mean it wasn't easy um It wasn't easy. In a lot of ways, there were some advantages to it. Uh, I can't deny that. uh, Because like I say, everybody knew me. But it it wasn't easy to be the guy that I almost kind of felt like, there's Josh, there's Rachel, and then there's their brother. And like I say, nobody ever put that on me. My parents definitely didn't put that on me. And if, if anything, I mean... Let's be honest, I was kind of the special one, if we're being honest.
1: The special one, like they gave you more attention? Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's anything, any doubt about it. Yeah, why do you think I threw rocks at cars at grandma and grandpa's house when I got sent away? There's no doubt about it. We used to, we used to give you the whippings you deserved. <laughs> I'm sure you did. <laughs> I mean, in so many ways,
0: um, like I said, I, I, I took up a lot of attention. Let's just let's just be honest here. Yeah. I took up a lot of attention,
1: a lot of oxygen. But it's a different type of attention too. You know what I mean? There's also the attention of the ego, like, you know what I mean? Like there's that stuff that you kind of might crave and maybe you were making up for that with your amazing social prowess. <laughs> I mean, I don't know about social prowess, but
0: Come on. <laughs> Again, it was it was kind of a weird dynamic for me because I did, I was social. Like, I really was, like, I I tried to be, you know, I almost tried to be friends with everybody too much. Yeah. To where I never really found my my friend group because I tried to be friends with everybody.
1: But, you know, that's, when we talk, at least when I talk to my kids, it's like, that's ideal. I want them to not have a clique. I want them to be friends with everybody. But then I understand, like, that you may not feel like you have like a super close friend that you can open up with, but it doesn't sound like you were opening up to anyone. Not really. I
0: mean, not, not really,
1: but who opens up to a lot of people in their teen years too, at the same time, you know, there's also the other, the other side of it where it's like, you can be too vulnerable where like certain people aren't safe enough to be trusted with certain things. And there has to be boundaries. Well,
0: and honestly that's probably been one of the biggest uh revelations for me in recent years is that I think that's part of it. Yeah. I think part of it was. And I, and that's where I did find some people find a, find a few people in college uh, where, you know, it was safe. You know, they were trustworthy. There were people that I could go to if I was struggling, if I was, you know, whatever I was going through. And um I also found out that's when I started to realize that the more that I was vulnerable, even though it didn't kick in for a while after that, I started to get a glimpse of the more that I was vulnerable and the more that I opened up, the more that other people would be able to, too. And that really just kind of helped deepen fr- friendships and, and relationships.
1: Yeah, I think that's one problem that a lot of us, especially men, have is those walls that we build around our emotions. We're kind of institutionalized into that, you know, from... Being very young and feel no pain and don't boys don't cry and all that kind of stuff like we're not raised to be emotional creatures so then sometimes when we're feeling our emotions we don't know how to handle it and that's where it, I love the work of Brene Brown and a lot of the stuff that she talks about me I mean, I've learned about emotions I didn't even know what I was feeling at times and I read her book I was like oh that's that
0: I mean honestly. Brene Brown has probably had about as big of influence on me as any other writer and or speaker I've ever heard. I mean, I'll just put it this way. When I was really struggling and having a hard time getting by and I was, you know, you guys were trying to help me as much as you could, but at the same time, I needed an outside perspective. I needed somebody who I thought was objective. And so as much as I didn't want to at the time, I was kind of discounting some things.
1: Because they have to love me.
0: Exactly. That's the way I thought. Now, now I know, okay, no, it doesn't necessarily have to be this way. Because there's a lot of people who have families that are dysfunctional and no one loves each other. It doesn't have to be that way. I was I was privileged to have that. But there is still a point where you know, I, I discounted what they had to say. I discounted what you guys had to say about certain things. And, you know, because, because I felt like you love me, you have to think that way. You have to say that. So thus begun my journey, my mental health journey, uh, through therapy, through so many things and so many, um, avenues of, of learning about myself, of actually trying to start to, I know nobody, this is kind of, this word's thrown around a lot these days, but start to kind of do my own work, start to kind of actually figure out what's going on inside. I think for so long I was, I was afraid to look behind the curtain. You know, I didn't really want to think about what's really going on, what I'm really struggling with. So, you know, um, through, through therapy, through uh, conversations, we, we always talk about in our family, specifically with you know, my brother and sister-in-law, my sister and brother-in-law, we always talk about the back porch. And honestly, the back porch can be anywhere. Uh, it's, it's, I would say it's probably most often at our sister's house um, because they have a big back deck and we always kind hang of out, hang out out there. But on the back porch, you know, we, we laugh, we cry, we tell stories, we talk about life, and we're there for each other. And that's something that honestly, because of, I I would say mainly because of the age gap, you know, I'm five years younger than Josh. I'm about three and a half years younger than our sister, Rachel. And, you know, because of the age gap, you know, when you're 15 and they're 20, you're in different places in life. But when you're 30 and they're 35, the playing field kind of levels a little bit. (laughs) I mean, let's be honest. The playing field kind of levels a little bit.
1: Rachel's not having a hanger fight with you anymore. You're not (laughs) punching me in the face over James Bond. Well, there is (laughs) that. Well, dude, it takes a lot of guts to share your story and share some of the things that you're trying to do. What What are some goals that you have? Like, I can't tell you how proud I am of you for starting this podcast, but the nice thing is, like, you're at a place where you don't need me to tell you that as much as you used to. You know what I mean? Like you're gonna, you're doing the work. You're like, I'm gonna do the thing, and then you're over here, and we're doing the thing, and it's making me want to get up off my butt and do the thing. So, what do you? What are your goals or some things that you're really looking forward to with this?
0: Well, I've I've I found out through uh, different avenues. I mean, we've you know, I've gone to. Um, it's kind of funny. I mean, I've gone to this group at uh, a Seventh-day Adventist church. I'm not even Seventh-day Adventist, but it's a group where people can come, whoever you are, whether you believe, whether you don't believe, you know, it doesn't matter whether when you come into that room, you're going to be loved. You're going to be valued and your stories are going to be valued. And so through that group, And in other avenues also, but through that group, I found so much power in not only sharing my story, but in hearing other stories, because in so many ways, like our stories can be so different, you know, our backgrounds are different, what we've been through, the specifics are different, but I feel like the underlying, you know, pain, you know, victories, you know, all these different things, it's, it's all universal, you know, it all translates. And so now I'm finding that, you know, the more I hear other people's stories, the more I can be like, you know, okay, yeah, I don't understand the background and the specifics, but I felt that. And I think there's so much power in that. And also whenever you get to share your story and just look across the room and see somebody who just kind of gives you that look of me too. It means a lot. I mean, it really means a lot to be able to to have that experience and to be able to um, have your story valued. Because honestly, for so long, I kind of devalued my own experience, and because I have, because I am blessed, and I have like a, a lot of physical advantages that a lot of people don't have. So I almost kind of discounted the experience, the struggles, you know, the, the things that I went through, the things that I was struggling with, because, oh, it's not as severe as somebody else, you know. But what I'm now learning is that, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's physical pain, whether it's emotional pain, whether it's addiction, whatever it is, you know, the pain's real and your story matters. And so that's kind of where I'm coming from
1: that's dope thanks for letting me hang out and or for coming to hang out with me and uh let me come on your first podcast and ask you a couple of really intrusive questions i'm glad that you gave me that nod
0: on the next episode i'll be taking a dive into the deep of shame and how to overcome it for now I'll leave you with my favorite quote from Brene Brown. If we can share our story with someone who responds with empathy and understanding, shame can't survive. This is Mitch Templeton, and you're listening to Invisible Warriors. You can follow me on Instagram at templeton.mitch. Or if you have a story to tell, email me at invisiblewarriors at yahoo.com. And let's talk. And anyone who got this far, thanks for listening.